Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. And uh, uh uh-oh, the uh, NAACP president of the Illinois chapter is in a bit of bandini because she uh, dared to characterize the migrants in an unflattering way on a Zoom call. Her name is uh, Teresa Haley, and uh, ABC7, Craig Walls reporting, uh, has the story. Here is uh, Miss Haley, Teresa Haley's comments about the migrants on this NAACP Zoom call. That these immigrants have come over here, they've been raping people. They've been breaking into homes. They're like savages as well. They don't speak the language and they look at us like we were crazy. Mm. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636, type in DA, then the comment. Our big guy got wind of this, heard about it, and he was not too happy, but I don't see where that soundbite is. Yeah, here's Pritzker. Thank you reprehensible remarks um i would hope that uh she would apologize for the remarks Uh, i also think that people should recognize that immigrants to this country are um all around us yeah he knows something about intemperate remarks because remember he was the one who made those intemperate remarks about jesse white and you know more palatable black uh, politicians that could potentially be appointed to uh, the Senate seat being vacated by uh, Barack Obama back in the day when he was aspiring to that and trying to cut a deal with Blagojevich for that or to be attorney general or to be mm. s- t- treasurer or secretary of state, anything to advance Senate. his political flag. That was jelly belly then before he became a statesman uh, more 15 years later like he is now. Sure. OK. Uh, something Teresa Haley said on that Zoom call, though, that wasn't picked up on by Craig Wall. I'm kind of interested to know the additional context, what? which is one of the things that the NAACP is leaning on. Uh, context. We need context. Um, and she comes up with the 21st century uh, cover story. Oh, it's, is it the best? This, this, this is the new out of context, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. She said, she said, um, savages, they're, they, uh, they're like savages as well. As well as who? Oh. Who else is savages? That's a good I'd like point. to know. Uh, but what about the, the comments from Haley, uh, you know, that uh, immigrants are coming to this country and they're raping people and so forth. Um, does that she demand sounds- an apology? Does that demand her uh, defenestration from the Illinois NAACP? 312-642-5600, turnkey, dot pro, answer line. Six four six three six D A Turkey text line. I mean, I kind of remember when Trump came out and said Mexicans were raping people and all. She sounds Some like bad hombres. She's she kind of sounds a little like Trump, if you know what I mean. 
Just uh, telling it like it is. Well, right, and of course, um, the, the the fair criticism is to say, you know, making a general statement. Um, but I, I don't think. I mean, I'll be charitable to her, just as we were charitable to Trump. Of course, uh, I don't think any reasonable person believes that every person coming into this country, even illegally, is a bad person who is a savage or a criminal or has any malicious intent against anybody else. Uh, of course, that's not the case. Well, Patrick, but, but well, can, can, can I just finish? But but uh, but um, but some people do. How do we know? Because we have people in this country legally who've committed savage crime. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt that she doesn't actually believe every single. And so all of the performative hand wringing from political hacks like Jelly Belly is not persuasive to me. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line. Patrick Watson, he's the former DuPage County. I didn't know they had a DuPage County NAACP president. Did you? But he wa- he wants her to resign. I think she should absolutely resign. I think she's unfit to be the president, the state president of the NAACP, someone that has that kind of sentiment and that kind of thought against migrant communities. But, but my absolute favorite is Haley. Well, just, just, just hold on a second. Did, did you watch? Did you watch the whole piece? Honestly, um, Patrick yeah, Watson I is did. the former. Yeah, well, good. He, so he's, he's the former, and this and right, and he needs context, right? So, what's the context then? If you watch the whole piece, he's the former DuPage County. What, why is he the former? I don't remember why he's the right. former, but somebody right. else was saying because people be, change positions, things happen. No, wrong. Because he uh, w- got cross with Miss Haley, and there was some sort of row between the two, and he w- stepped away or he was fired, asked to step away, whatever it was. Because in that piece, right after that, honestly, is the, in- is the incumbent chapter head of the DuPage County NAACP, yeah, and here's what Childers. he said. Childress also claims Haley's comments were taken out of context. These comments are not indicative of what the NAACP stands for. But again, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Teresa Haley and say she should or shouldn't resign or things like that. How was what she said taken out of context? She she said they're savages. I don't I mean, as well. I don't know what the context of that is. Raping people. But 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 regardless um, you either make a decision that you're going to give her the benefit of the doubt that when she's referring to people behaving like savages, she's not saying that's everyone. She's saying that there's some who, by their behavior, are properly characterized as savages. Or you're in the BLM Brandon camp where any sort of description of reality is sort of demonizing our youth, demonizing migrants. Any description of reality. Are the uh, the Colombian uh, is the, that uh, uh burglary ring in Lake County uh, of Colombian foreign nationals who are here illegally. I mean, is that savagery? The um, uh, other instances of fighting and unlawful use of a weapon charges and assaults and and rapes and the murder of that 16 year old girl, 16 year old cheerleader in Texas, because that's savagery. Her body found in the bathtub. Yeah, that's savagery. Uh, Craig Wall caught up with Teresa Haley. And uh, she's on vacation. 
so he could just characterize what she had to say. But he did quote something that she said, which is the 21st century taken out of context. Haley, reached by phone while on vacation in Dubai, denied making the comments, but when confronted about them being on video, suggested it was a fake saying, with AI, anything is possible. That she is, got AI'd. That's the best. I mean, come on. First of all, she's on vacation in Dubai? Really? It must be a nice gig you got there. Maybe she's at the uh, COP28 uh, oh, saving the planet. Yeah. yeah. She could be, um, actually. That's not yeah. far-fetched. So, let that, so file that away next time somebody catches you saying something intemperate or even doing something that is uh, improper, unbecoming, illegal. I got AI'd. How can you prove that's really me? That's not me. It's the it's a combination of the R. Kelly and the out of context defense. That's not me on that tape. She just made it a lot worse. That's AI. I know, Could but be. her excuse is worse than what she said. But but what I mean was it really bad what she said? Yeah, I mean as you mentioned, not everybody is a savage. Not all these people, especially the young kids that are here, and some that were unaccompanied, aren't savages. They want a better life for themselves. But people in the black community are pissed. They they want some of this. They want the gimme dats. And they're not getting it and they're not happy about it. So Yeah, some of them were out again um with that uh, real America voice reporter that Berkham guy uh over the weekend. Uh including uh, Pastor Dave Lowry, Mark Carter who we've introduced you to before, sort of a longtime community activist uh promoting the interests of ex-offenders as well as the Chicago Republican committeeman we've mentioned before, Devin Jones. They were out, and one of the things that they did was essentially walk around a homeless encampment and offer a little bit of comparison contrast in terms of how the homeless, who are Americans, are treated and the provisions they're given in Chicago versus, of course, the uh, accommodations that are being stood up for people in this country illegally. Here's Mark Carter. How do you justify leaving the amount of people on the streets that are out here? And you building tents, warm tents, to house 2,000 illegals? I went from tent to tent. Some of these people are veterans. How do you justify people being homeless at this rate? Uh, more from uh, Chicago Republican committeeman Devin Jones. We're seeing increased taxes. We're struggling to pay our mortgages. We're struggling to pay our bills. Um, and we have thousands of dollars every month, millions of dollars, $500 million this year to support foreign nationals. And that's coming out of our pocket. It's going to people from another country, from foreign nationals. Those, those countries have to take care of their people. We just don't have the resources. You know, it's nothing against them, but we just don't have it. You know, we're struggling. This is government oppression at its finest. As a veteran myself, I just talked to a veteran in this tent right here. You know, we're seeing people who have given their all to their country, and they're just we just cast them out by the expressway with the trash. This is unconscionable, this, and it's unconstitutional. Meanwhile, we have to follow every law. We can't go over the speed limit without getting a ticket sent to our house, but people can violate federal law, and we come in and roll out the welcome mat, I give them our home equity, give them our sales taxes. They get the, the best of our schools. Meanwhile, 
something like 90% of black children are not reading, writing, and doing math proficiency, but they do it all under the guise of this fake diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense. We just need to start voting differently. We need to start pulling ourselves out of these government institutions, starting with the public school system. We need to move on from, from big government and from the city of Chicago's political machine. A nice sentiment. I wish it was more popular than it is. By the way, it wasn't just uh, black uh, activists, pastors that were out addressing this issue. It was also um, a Latino community activist named Raul, Raul Montez Jr. People have been waiting for years, let's say, for example, for um, to get citizenship and they don't get anything. They've been here 40, 50 years. They can't get no amnesty. But then these people come, they get everything. They're getting uh, the rent pay. They're getting money. They're getting phones. They're getting et cetera. What about the homeless people? What, what about, about the veterans? The veterans, exactly. Yeah, $9,000 a month. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, impeachment inquiry vote in the House is expected today. And House Speaker Mike Johnson, who uh, had a lot on his plate yesterday between the announcement, uh, or between providing the rationale for the impeachment inquiry again, uh, and uh, engaging with uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky and uh, the press about aid to Ukraine and border security and the range of issues. But on uh, impeachment, the impeachment in- inquiry, Mike Johnson explained it this thusly. The impeachment inquiry is necessary now, as, our, as Whip Emmer just explained, because we've come to this impasse where following the facts where they lead, is hitting a stone wall because the White House is impeding that investigation now. They're not allowing witnesses to come forward and thousands of pages of documents. So we have no choice to fulfill our constitutional responsibility. We have to take the next step. We're not making a political decision. It's not. It's a legal decision. So people have feelings about it one way or the other. We can't prejudge the outcome. The Constitution does not permit us to do so. We have to follow the truth where it takes us, and that is exactly what we're going to do. And I'll note, too, I know that, that, that people are um, you know, frustrated sometimes with the, the time that's being invested in this, 
But this is the way the founders anticipated that something like this would go. There, there's no, there shouldn't be any such thing as a snap impeachment, a sham impeachment like the Democrats did against President Trump. This is the opposite of that. And that's why people are getting restless, because they want things to happen quickly. If you follow the Constitution and you do the right thing, you cannot rush it. You have to follow the facts. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Uh, your reviews of Mike Johnson's explanation, as well as the methodical moving in the direction of impeaching President Biden, certainly before the fall, because that's where this is going. You know, I mean, Johnson is technically right to say this is a legal decision, not a political one, but it's a legal decision in the context, a strategic legal decision for the reasons he he outlined in terms of being able to compel more witness testimony, being able to get more documents, be able to answer questions that uh, have been also delineated by uh, investigators in, well, it's about within the time. House GOP. But but. Um, but ultimately, it's a political process, and there's no question that there is an expectation that this will end up in the House impeaching President Biden, because otherwise, the rank and file would say, why would you go through the process in order to exonerate him or suggest that you don't have enough come up with ultimately come up with uh, a lack of evidence to move forward with impeachment? That would be. Terribly embarrassing, wouldn't it be? But it's going to go nowhere in the Senate, the Democratic-run Senate. So that's why some people are, well, why do this in the first place? We need to do it in the first place. It's long overdue. But there's no Democrats that are going to jump on the Republican side and, and vote to impeach. And those same people that are saying, why go through it when you know it's going to die in the Senate? They were opposed to the Trump impeachment? Impeachments, plural. Right, impeachments, right. Remember, he, I mean, he, how many times was he impeached? For those who were cheerleading Trump, both of Trump's impeachments, um, just remember how that went and uh, the explanation for the need to compel more witness testimony, to obtain more documents, uh, to let the special counsel finish their investigation and produce their report. And all that was, uh, hey, protecting our democracy. That was within the constitutional power of the House, and it certainly was. I mean, his first and impeachment was so because is, he made And it. so is this. So I just, just, you know, the standard setting that I like to do. For anybody who cheered the Trump impeachment, uh, I'd love to hear from somebody who did, who finds this impeachment inquiry improper or without cause. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Our text line is up and running, folks. 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Jeff Andrew is a um, actually a Republican convert. Remember, Jeff Andrew from New Jersey switched to the Republican Party. That's right. Couldn't, uh, couldn't stomach uh, what the, Dem- the Democrats had become under Biden and under the Socialist Spice Girls and all of the other new Marxist that formed the parade of Haribles that ushers itself in and out of the White House and Congress on a daily basis. Jeff Andrew narrated a GOP explainer ahead of this inquiry vote, impeachment inquiry vote. First, uh, and by the way, a House Oversight Committee has a Twitter thread that uh, lays out all the evidence that Jamie Raskin says doesn't exist. 
Jeff Andrew, first, just a quick summary of the underlying facts to refresh everybody's recollection. Politician takes action, family gets money, and politician takes steps to hide it. A tale as old as time. And that's the tale we face today with President Joe Biden. Oh, son of a Over the last several months, the Judiciary Oversight and the Ways and Means Committee have uncovered evidence of Biden family influence peddling scheme. The evidence includes 15 million in payments to the Biden family, 240,000 in payments directly to Joe Biden, and a threatening WhatsApp message sent by Hunter Biden to a Chinese executive. You have this evidence on top of four key facts that have not changed. One, Hunter Biden was on the board of Burisma. Two, Hunter was not qualified to be on the board of Burisma. Three, the executives at Burisma asked Hunter to help them with the pressure they're under. Four, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine, gives a speech attacking the prosecutor, which starts the process of getting him fired. These facts haven't changed, and evidence across the investigation continues to grow. Right. For example, the 20 shell companies the House Oversight Committee has identified, and then that uh, Twitter thread, they've got all the names. 20 shell companies created by the Biden family, most of which were created when Joe Biden was vice president. Mm -hmm. Most of which, as far as uh, investigators can discern at the moment, were just pass-throughs to move money around. Just like uh, Hunter Biden provided no services, these companies provided no goods or services. They were shells. Biden and their associates, the Bidens and their associates, raked in more than $24 million from China, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and Romania between the years 2015 and 2019. So... Uh, the Oversight Committee has been able to identify to date. Uh, remember uh, Devin Archer's testimony. Uh, what was the Biden family business? Devin Archer told us that Joe Biden was the brand. Under questioning, you keep saying the brand, but by brand you mean the Biden family, correct? Archer, correct. When you say the Biden family, sorry to cut in here, I just want to get clarification. You aren't talking about Dr. Jill or anybody else. You're talking about Joe Biden. Is that fair to say? Devin Archer. Yeah, that's fair to say. Listen, I think it's I don't think about it as, you know, Joe directly, but it's fair. That's fair to say. Obviously, that brought the most value to the brand. So without the big guy, Mr. 10 percent, you're not raking in the tens of millions. That's Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner. Joe Biden recently again saying uh, on top of never talked to Hunter about his his business or his business partners, never met with anybody. All lies, damn lies. Right. He said that last week. Mm -hmm. Devin Archer uh, revealed to uh, House Oversight Committee Joe Biden spoke to his son's associate by speakerphone more than 20 times, dined with foreign oligarchs and a barista executive, had coffee with his son's Chinese associate all when he was vice president. And that's just what Devin Archer knows. Jordan Forest Park, you're on Chicago's morning answer. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think it's important for people to think about what's the end game here. You know, so what would this look like January 2025? And I think that if Biden wins or loses, I think the following could happen. First of all, Biden pardons all family members, including Hunter, for any federal uh, uh, crimes. Number two, Biden resigns. Harris becomes pre president because they'll have a deal that she'll be president for maybe even a month or two. She'll get her presidential pension, $200,000 a year plus, and she will pardon Joe. 
And I think that is a good scenario. And I think people should start talking about that and asking uh, uh, Biden and also press secretaries, is this a possible scenario? Will he do this? He's only been asked about will he pardon Hunter. But um, Harris, I think, would take that deal. She'll be president for two months and uh, she'll get her pension. That's fun fantasy politics. Yeah, sure. Everybody who needs a pardon, line up. Uh, we want to, we got to, do we have a head count? Cause it wouldn't just be necessarily Hunter and Joe. It would also include uh, brother Jim. Right. And who knows how many, I mean, anybody else, if it becomes something that, uh, potentially where there's potentially criminal exposure, then it could be any Biden family member who received Hunter Biden's ill gotten gains. If well, that, if they're determined to be ill gotten and that's where well, that number is at least 11, according to the house oversight, right, Committee. including Bo's wife. The widow, she got $34,000 for what? For doing what? Doesn't Tom in Blue Island. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Thanks for taking the call. I wanted to comment on what Amy had said, not directly at her, about the fact that Biden would not be convicted in the Senate. If what Mike Johnson said is true, that this is being done as a, a specific legal proceeding, then the trial in the Senate would be an actual disappointment of the facts related to what Biden did, as opposed to the political sham that were the two Trump, if you want to get impeachment trials. And so the fact that he wouldn't, yes, he wouldn't be convicted, but the bullies of the left have to be stood up to. You have to prove to them that you'll stand up and you'll fight fire with fire. Otherwise, we're going to keep getting rolled over by them, regardless if it's Trump or whomever down the line. Thanks for the call. Well, I agree with that. Um, and you heard Mike Johnson talk about the the uh, uh, rush to impeachment under Trump and in referencing uh, in, in uh, part, as part of his explanation, referencing this impeachment inquiry vote. And so. Uh, right. You don't want to come across as vindictive. Uh, certainly not if you're the speaker. You want to sort of keep it within the bounds of what we're constitutionally uh, authorized. And in this case, based on the evidence compelled to do. I think that's right. But for, uh, you know, the hoi polloi for we out here on the hustings. Absolutely. They set a precedent. We said, just be, be careful about the precedents you set because they can have a tendency to boomerang on you. And here we are. And this is not like this was invented a la the Russian collusion hoax or you have to come up with some stilted interpretation of a phone call a la the impeachment one of Trump. This is like a pretty straightforward, not terribly sophisticated because look at who the the point person was, Hunter Biden, not terribly sophisticated, totally reckless. Uh, done haphazardly influence peddling operation that compromised at the time the sitting vice president. And who knows? We don't know. This is another uh, area of inquiry, maybe continuing on into his presidency as well. We don't know. That that's a legitimate area of inquiry. Whenever the I mean, do things what were the conversations if and when the money stopped being sent from all these uh, foreign outposts to Hunter Biden and distributed to Biden family members. Do we have a hard stop on that? 
Do we understand what those conversations were when uh, those four nationals decided that uh, there was too much heat on them and said, uh, sorry, Hunter, we're we got to at least pause our business or whatever they said. Maybe they said nothing. Maybe they said we're not doing business anymore. Maybe they said it to pause. Let's see what happens in 24. We don't know. But we do know what was going on for the decade preceding Joe Biden's presidency, including his time as vice president. And there's a lot more we don't know. And Jeff Van Drew in that uh, uh, Senate Judiciary Committee primer for today's vote laid out the four questions they seek answers to. And they're all substantive and they're all based on everything that has been summarized by uh, by these respective committees that have taken uh, various angles into this investigation. Marvin in Burlington, Wisconsin. Yeah, good thing. I was a little off topic, I was told, but that uh, movie by, was her name Liz Miller on the George Floyd uh, situation? And, Liz, Co- Liz Collins. Uh, yes, Liz Collins, I'm sorry. I mean, it was uh, devastating, in my view, to the news media, to the judicial system, to the political leaders. I mean, if you look at what was going on here in, in, in the, on a federal level, it's the same thing that happened in Minneapolis. You have politicians lying, the news media that manipulates the truth, and they can't even tell the truth, and the judicial system that uh, excludes uh, pertinent uh, uh, evidence that would uh, exonerate this officer. I mean, this, I mean, I sort of knew it all along, but this guy did nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And to lie about their training and to okay, allow them. Right. Only... I don't want to I don't want to go down the. the uh, right. I know. But I mean, it's, hole, it's, but it's the media. I right. get your point. Yeah. Yes. But, but this the same group, the same group that can't do the right thing. And they continue to look for some excuse in some legal book, obscure and uh, law that allows them to do whatever for political purposes. You can't trust any of them. None of them. Thanks for the call, Marvin. I'm um, just some other uh, highlights from the uh, House Oversight Committee Twitter thread. And again, just replace Joe Biden's name with Donald Trump in Russia and con- can- contemplate what uh, the Trump haters and Democrats, I repeat myself, but of course, Trump haters not limited to Democrats, never Trumpers, the, the, the bulwark crew and um, so many of the others that just Bill of Crystal who decided to sell their soul to the left because of their hatred of Trump. A Joe Biden's Delaware home address listed as the beneficiary address for two wires from China totaling 250 grand. Oh. Trump's Mar-a-Lago address listed as the beneficiary address from two wires coming from Moscow. <laughs> would, it, would, would that generate any response from the left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh the, and in addition to the other checks, the direct payments he got, everything's uh, everything's uh, characterized as a loan and so on and so forth. 2008, uh, 20, excuse me, 2018 email where a bank flagged serious concern about the China money. Hunter received 40 grand, which went uh, into Joe Biden's bank account, his personal bank account. So, again, we released a 28. Uh, we released a 2014 email, just hypothetical where a bank flags serious concern about uh, Russia money that uh, Don Jr. received, 40000 of which ultimately landed in Donald Trump's bank account. Any issues, you think, would be raised about that? Precedent setting. Precedent setting of the left. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to hear other than the there's no evidence, you've got no evidence. That's not going to fly.
Can't can't wait to hear what they come up with to characterize this impeachment inquiry at this stage as illegitimate, given all of the illegitimate things they've done over the last four years and certainly the six years that Trump was president. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 30, or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. That was some performance from the big guy, Mr. 10 percent, President Biden, yesterday in that uh, joint with Ukrainian President Zelensky, wasn't it? Sure. You think he got the questions ahead of time, Dan? Well, it was a little frightening when he went off script because things like this happened. The United States and Congress must, as I asked last week, and it's stunning that we've gotten to this point. You know, we need to fully appreciate, fully appreciate how it's wrong, how this is being viewed around the world. Oh, yeah. We do need to appreciate how this is being viewed around the world. The United States must do what, uh, Mr. President? We, we never heard. Oh, right. Hey, Mr. President, here's the $200 million check. It's here's, so goofy. Uh, he just Bi- gave them $200 million, Like They're sitting down by the fireplace. and like, oh, here's $200 million. And Biden, and, billions, Biden and Zelensky and the wingback chairs after that uh, grueling presser. I've just signed another $200 million drawdown for the Department of Defense for Ukraine, and that will be coming quickly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh-huh. uh, I really want the $61 billion in the uh, special defense authorization, and that's where we run into a little problem, or at least Zelensky does, and so do Biden and uh, the uh, congregants of the war party inside the Beltway. Well, how about no help for Ukraine until we tighten our borders here? Well, that's basically the position of the House Republicans, much to the chagrin of many Senate Republicans. And this was Mike Johnson's point when he addressed uh, the press to discuss his conversation with Zelensky and the House GOP position on what Biden and the Democrats are trying to do spread some money around for the purpose of getting the $61 billion to Ukraine. I reiterated to him that we stand with him and against Putin's brutal invasion. Uh, the American people stand for freedom, and they're on the right side of this fight. I have asked the White House since the day that I was handed the gavel as Speaker for clarity 
we need a clear articulation of the strategy to allow Ukraine to win. And thus far, their responses have been insufficient. They have not provided us the clarity and the detail that we have requested over and over since literally 24 hours after I was handed the gavel as Speaker of the House. And so what the Biden administration seems to be asking for is billions of additional dollars with no appropriate oversight, no clear strategy to win, and and none of the answers that I think the American people are owed. I have also made very clear from day one that our first condition on any national security supplemental spending package is about our own national security first. The border is an absolute catastrophe. And this is because of the policies of this White House and this administration. We had 12,000 illegal crossings on one day last week alone, on Wednesday. We have uh, almost now 280 known terrorists that have been apprehended at the border. None of this counts the gotaways. If you add the numbers up, it's almost 7 million people who have been encountered at the border just since President Biden took office and at least 2 million gotaways. This is twice the population of my state of Louisiana. Fentanyl is the leading cause of death for Americans age 18 to 49 in this country. Fentanyl poisoning because it's allowed over the border. We have human trafficking and all the other terrible things. In the last three months, October, November, December alone, we've had more illegal crossings at the border than in any entire year during the Obama administration. The American people see this. They feel it acutely. They see all the terrible societal ills that come from this, and it must be addressed. So I've made this very clear. Again, from the very beginning, when I was handed the gavel, we needed clarity on what we're doing in Ukraine and how we'll have proper oversight of the spending of precious taxpayer dollars of the American citizens, and we needed a transformative change at the border. Thus far, we've gotten neither. Uh, The Senate has been MIA on this. The House passed H.R. 2 six months ago, more than six months ago. It's been sitting and collecting dust on Chuck Schumer's desk. I have told him personally. I've told the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense that these are our conditions because these are the conditions of the American people, and we are resolute on that. It is not the House's issue right now. The issue is with the White House and the Senate, and I implore them to do their job because the time is urgent, and we do want to do the right thing here. So uh, should uh, House Republicans just uh, take the border money and run, pardon my Steve Miller band, or... Should they stick to their guns, as described by Mike Johnson? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text I, I got to tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, I like this Mike Johnson guy. <clears throat> Where has he been all of our lives? Because <laughs> KJP, she keeps blaming Republicans on border security with, with no backing or no proof or I don't, you know. But there is a bill and the Senate's just letting it sit there. But our country's under attack. People don't realize this is... This could be the end of our democracy. I mean, we're letting people come in by the thousands. And he should have included in that 390 unaccompanied minors that came in with that 12,000 little kids. Well, well, it's clear that the House Republican position is clear because uh, uh, Democrat Socialist Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut articulated exactly what Mike Johnson said, less eloquently, of course, because he's— you know, basically got a room temperature yeah, he's IQ. Man. But uh, Murphy, who's a dutiful apparatchik, just characterizes the GOP demands as draconian. Well, there's the impasse. There is a deal to be made. Uh, but Democrats want to throw $14 billion at the border and $61 billion at, at, at Kiev. 
but they don't want to do anything to change the situation in either place, interestingly. Right? What is the strategy to win? I think that's an operative question, and that was asked of Biden, and he has no idea. He's no. just reading the prepared answers. And But it doesn't seem like the Pentagon uh, and all the generals, uh, Austin at all, have a idea either because they've never presented one. You know, it would be honest at least. $61 billion gets us what? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, and it, what, what would it take to actually repel the Russians? What, what would it take to get the Russians out of eastern Ukraine if that's the goal? Or, or if that's not the goal, then what is the goal? None of those basic questions have ever been answered, not honestly. It's always we need to keep supporting in order to – and look at all that the Ukrainians have done, and they're fighting the good fight for their country. And that's all true, but that doesn't mean you get to avoid the tough questions about what would it take, and then once you outline what we think it would take, and then we have a debate about does that make sense for us to provide what it would take. We don't know what it would take is. And we also don't know, we still don't know really what the objective is. Of course, it's, you know, to not allow Putin to take Ukraine or even to take eastern Ukraine to repel Putin because he's a a rapacious, revanchist threat to uh, Europe, European stability. Okay, so is is that the objective? Because they're not really clear on that either. While you have foreign policy establishment types like Richard Haas, formerly of Council on Foreign Relations, two weeks ago calling for a push on Zelensky to sit down uh, or uh, propose some sort of territorial secessions in order to get peace. I think he's wearing on the American people. I mean, yesterday he did not get a hero's welcome. Zelensky didn't, as he did the first time he came here on bended knee, begging for billions of dollars. Well, yeah. Because people want to know what they're getting. What what is this? Why well, are we well, why are we prioritizing Ukraine over our own border? Well, that's an answer. That's a question that's posed to our political leaders, right? Not Zelensky, and frankly, like the the Zelensky question on territorial secessions. Um, he was asked that uh, by uh, the press corps. Are you willing to concede any territory uh, to uh, try to forge a, a peace? And um, you know, here was uh, uh, Zelensky's answer. Um, do we have Zelensky? Yeah, right up here. Oh, here we go. The yeah. question is about for what we are ready and for what we are not. How Ukraine is able to give up its territories? That's insane, to be honest. We are mentioning God very often. That's not about Christianity. We have our people there. We have our families there. We have children there. That's a part of Ukrainian society. And we are talking about human beings. They are being under tortures. They are being and they are being killed. And those voices which offers to give up our territories, they offer as well to give up our people. That's not a matter of territory, that's a matter of lives, of families, of children, of their histories. I don't know whose idea it is. But I have a question to these people if they are ready to give up their children to terrorists. I think no. Yeah, you know what? That's a, that answer doesn't bother me. I mean, uh, think about it in an American context. If uh, we were invaded and the price of peace was giving up the eastern seaboard, would we just say, well, yeah, in, in the interest of peace, we're going to give up the eastern seaboard to a foreign uh, interloper? No. 
I, I get the no answer. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's America's primary responsibility to ensure that doesn't happen. That's the, the rub. The rub isn't that, uh, that, that the Russian, that Putin and the Russians are the bad actor here or that we wouldn't like to see Putin and the Russians repelled from eastern Ukraine. That's not the issue. The issue is whose primary responsibility is it? And if that is the goal, then how is it achieved? Because it's not being achieved the way that this campaign is being prosecuted now. That's pretty clear. That's been conceded by all parties. So Zelensky saying, no, we want the entirety of our homeland back. That doesn't bother me. But the question is, it is our, our responsibility to provide it. And by the way, um, so that was that was fine. But um, some things that um, Zelensky should be a little bit more politically savvy about are things like when he says, if there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill, it's just Putin and his sick clique. Well, that drew a response from Senator J.D. Vance. Great to see Zelensky has all the nuance of a resistance Twitter liberal. Uh, disgraceful and gross that he's coming to the Senate to apply pressure against Republicans as we fight for more border security. You know, I mean, I, again, that's in Zelensky's interest to, to, you know, to try to the best he can manipulate po- politics domestically in the United States to get what he thinks he needs for his country. I get that. And it's up to Republicans, particularly House Republicans, it would seem. To say no, uh, just as the argument goes, just as Zelensky wants to protect his homeland, and we respect that, we want to protect ours, but Democrats don't respect that. And that's no. the problem. And Chris Murphy basically conceded the point. It's very different to say, on top of that funding, we are going to make major changes in law. And that's what Republicans are asking for. They are asking for very severe, very draconian immigration policy changes, policy changes that they know could not pass if they weren't holding up support uh, for the war against Vladimir Putin. But isn't that um, so the exact I, I just point? Think that's the difficulty. Isn't that the isn't that their exact point? Is well, this is a moment. It's a crisis. I think many people agree what's happening at the border is a crisis. So this is a moment we got to deal with it at home, and then we're going to help Ukraine too. Yeah, I, I, I think we should separate the two. Well, of course no, you do. You do. <laughs> of course you think we should separate yeah. the two, and Republicans don't because even a dingbat like Poppy Harlow uh, can f- understand that two million gotaways is a crisis. That the complete lack of border control is the the antithesis of of providing for our national security. Of course you want to separate the two. Chris Murphy is interested in protecting Ukraine against further Russian incursions, but he's not interested in protecting the American people against incursions from people from all over the world. 162 different countries and 280 known terrorists picked up so far. But also, too, guys... Governor Abbott said there's 20,000 more on the way to Chicago. Just wait until Katie Hobbs starts busing them here because that, that system's about to break. They have well, to get rid of those people. I mean, there's there's nowhere for people to go in shelters. Well, New York City uh, Mayor Eric Adams, just back from D.C., had this to say about uh, what New Yorkers can expect, New York City denizens can expect from the federal government in terms of uh, help. <laughs> help is not Rescuing Eric Adams from uh, the his own policies, just like, you know, just like BLM Brandon wants and G- Jelly Belly want to be rescued from their policies? I uh, did not see the level of urgency. I'm just not seeing 
of the you know the White House and their colleagues up there, understanding that we need a decompression strategy. Cities should not be carrying the burden of a national crisis. And when I left D.C., I did not walk out and say uh, that, you know, the cavalry is coming. Yeah. yeah. He said help is not on the way. Yeah, because this is a, a long-term play for the Democrats at the federal level. And, you know, what's going to happen in the cities? Well, they're not going to turn Republican. So who cares? We don't care about Eric Adams. We don't care about BLM Brandon and their parochial problems. This is a long-term play for us. Two million? We got at least a year left. Maybe we can get another million in. Monica and Lyle, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, just out of curiosity, I was had, just happened to be listening to uh, Mark Levin yesterday, and the thought didn't occur to me until he said it. But, you know, we told the Ukrainians, get rid of your nukes and we'll protect you. That was France, Britain, and the United States. We signed this treaty. Okay, great. But then when we give them weapons, supposedly we're hamstringing them by telling them A, B, and C, you can't do this. And then we're just giving them enough to tide them over. So my question is, are they being hamstrung as opposed to just outright losing on their own? Well, I, the money well, that they are getting. That's well, that's what that's I'm just a thought. Yeah. Thanks for the call. I mean, you know, part of that, it's it's hard to know because no one is arguing that sixty one billion dollars is going to be determinative. It's going to turn the tide. I haven't heard anybody make that case. Uh-huh. So I have to believe that it's not the case. That's such a random number, too. Why not 60? 61 billion? And and so um, this is where the lack of clarity coming from the foreign policy establishment, the national security establishment, all these people that are busy surveilling Americans and uh, and monitoring Catholics attending Latin mass, they can't get uh, their heads around a particular strategy that they can outline in general terms or at least put a price tag on that would give them the ability to say it's more likely than not it that if we did these things, we could turn the tide in Eastern Europe. Who, who, who's got that plan? Who's making that case? As I said, you, you, Richard Haas is, is as much a mouthpiece for the foreign policy establishment as anybody, and he's already conceding defeat. Time to get to the table and cut Ukraine up. A lot of text messages. Dan and Amy, did Churchill travel the globe collecting cash during World War II in sweatpants? Uh, well, it, yeah, okay. Different times. And where's the accounting for the money that we've already given them? Yeah, right. But but the, the crux of it is the juxtaposition between our border and Ukraine's and how uninterested— Democrat, the Democrat Socialist Party is in ours as compared to theirs. And that's a question they should answer, too. The draconian policies, I mean, you know, you don't expect the to, to anybody on the CNN news quotation marks desk to have the wherewithal to ask a follow-up. But when somebody just characterizes generally what Republicans have proposed as draconian, which part of what they're proposing is draconian? Which part of previous policies that existed, by the way, during the Obama administration, as well as Trump, like remain in Mexico, which parts of those uh, which part of the policy proposals, the policy changes Republicans are demanding specifically are draconian. Let's go chapter and verse and let's see if the American people agree with Chris Murphy and the Democrat socialists.
Clay, Libertyville. Morning, Dan Amy. You know what? This is this whole situation with Ukraine is a typical U.S. government corruption playbook. Create a problem, pose a solution with military funding, implement all their people, and then they all rake in the millions. We saw this play out in the Middle East. Now we're seeing it play out in Ukraine. NATO, through the U.S., created this problem. NATO pushed and pushed since 1949 up into Russia's borders. They implemented Zelensky, a nice pawn. Now they're posing military funding as the solution. Now they're all raking in the millions and billions. Yeah, I don't, tip, uh, there's, yeah some, there's something to that, but it, I mean, I, I wouldn't go quite that far. Thanks for the call, Clay. But I, I'll tell you one thing, though. It's a bad look. Zelensky meeting with uh, American defense contractors and, and him posting together we can create more jobs, generate more strength, provide more opportunities for both. Create more jobs. I know. Um, it, defending your nation from a foreign invader isn't about isn't a jobs program for Ukraine or Russia. Yeah, ultimately a reconstruction of Ukraine, and sure, a, it's just a bad look. I mean, it just like smacks of postcard from the military industrial complex in D.C. I, I get it. He went. Oh, he's just thanking defense contractors for the provision of the weapons authorized by the U.S. government. Yeah, I, I get it. But you know, for somebody who was on the cover of Vogue, and uh, you know, is always in his. Uh, uh, fatigues, he's obviously uh, marketing savvy enough to know this is just a bad look. And the Biden administration should be similarly savvy. A foreign president is sitting around uh, yucking it up. I mean, yucking it up is too strong, but sitting up, you know, talking with American defense contractors about what he needs and so on and so forth. This is a responsibility between governments. You know, it's it's not it, a photo op. It, it, it smacks of who exactly is making the calls here. Is it uh, the defense contractors putting pressure on the Pentagon or is it the Biden administration of foreign policy establishment? Or can you even distinguish the two? You know, which came first, the the uh, defense contractors or the foreign policy establishment? It's a bit of a chicken and egg. Any whichever way you cut it, it's a terrible look. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. If you you think things have quieted down on Ivy League campuses in the wake of the uh, firing of Liz McGill at Penn or the controversy surrounding Claudine Gay at Harvard, even though she survived so far... Uh, here's what's happening uh, on the campus of Columbia University. Students, probably faculty, probably administrators in the hundreds. It's a very celebratory atmosphere for uh, pro-Hamas uh, Ivy Leaguers. And certainly uh, Claudine Gay surviving and uh, staying as Harvard president, that's not going to change that much. I mean, basically, they had lost control of these campuses long ago. It's just now, after the terrorist attack by Hamas on October 7th, this has all been brought into public view. And thus, 
you're getting reaction from billionaire donors, and then the, obviously the catastrophic testimony from these university presidents uh, last week, and so forth. But uh, the um, the nature of these institutions, the nature of these institutions, and whether or not anything can be done to significantly change the culture on campus in America. Why don't we start there with our friend Bill O'Reilly, because he had some choice words in the direction of Claudine Gay that I saw the other day. Bill O'Reilly, of course, is the host of No Spin News, weeknights, 5 p.m. Chicago time, at BillOReilly.com. He's also the author, of course, the best-selling killing series, the latest being Killing the Witches, the Horror of Salem, Massachusetts, and uh, perfect holiday gift, perfect stocking stuffer for the ones you love, if you haven't already picked it up, Killing the Witches, the Horror of Salem, Massachusetts. That's the latest in Bill O'Reilly's killing series. Bill, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Dan, thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, You um, uh, basically asked uh, somewhat rhetorically, but then provided an explanation, What's the difference between Claudine Gay and a neo-Nazi? Well, my analysis was that if neo-Nazis on any college campus, not not only Harvard, um, threatened Jewish people, they'd be arrested. All right, so there are in America uh, people who um, adhere to a fascist philosophy, and they've been labeled neo-Nazis. So. If there's a club, uh, you know, the Third Reich Club or whatever, could never exist, but <clears throat> the analysis still holds, that Ms. Gay and all the other college presidents would forcibly shut it down and expel the students, and they might even be arrested for hate crimes. But uh, if they are pa- uh, Palestinians or progressive Americans who sympathize with Hamas, uh, which many of them do, shockingly, then it's okay. So how do you explain that? How do you justify that? Can anybody justify it? Mm-hmm. Well, why do you think she got to stay and the other president got kicked out? Well, that's complicated. Uh, I'm a Harvard alumnus, as you guys may know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to bring that up. I didn't want to embarrass you. No, I'm I'm proud of it. And, I, you know, I know some of uh, the alums have, uh, you know, disowned the college. I don't. I haven't done that. My experience in in the mid '90s, 1990s, was excellent. I learned a lot and I met a lot of good people. But for the past 20 years, uh, like a lot of other um, institutions, not only academics, uh, it has been controlled by progressive far left people, of which uh, President Gay is one. And they worship at the altar of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. What that means is, if you are white, we don't really like you very much. That's what that means. And I can back that up by enrollment stats and acceptance, college acceptance stats, uh, have plummeted for white males in all all of these institutions. Right. That's why they want to get rid of the SATs. They want to get rid of uh, standards of uh, in high school of any kind of. academic proficiency, uh, or they just want to admit the people that they are sympathize with. Yeah, but that it. Is, isn't that also why Liz McGill can be taken out and Larry Summers can be taken out at Harvard for things that were much less offensive than what Claudine Gay offered in that House committee, uh, before that House committee, but uh, Miss Gay cannot. I mean, she's a black female and she's untouchable. Correct. Uh, at Harvard. 
at you know, some other places, he might have some problems. So the uh, progressives who control Harvard, and these are the board of trustees, um, in the department heads, 97% of the uh, professors at Harvard, the people who teach there, are self-described liberals. So this is a monolithic move, all right? And there's no dissent. If you dissent, you don't work there. You don't. So they protect her. They're protecting her. But here's a story. I'm going to advance the story, okay? Um, this is the turning point in America for the progressive movement. No longer are they going to get a free pass. And the media is trying. The media is trying to give them a free pass because they've given them a free pass for two decades. It's impossible now. When you throw in with killers, and you guys remember I wrote the book Killing the Killers, which are terrorist groups of which Hamas is one of the most powerful now, when you side with them by saying, oh, it should be a ceasefire. Well, wait a minute. If there's a ceasefire, then Hamas is going to come back and do it again. They say they will do that. Right. They're bragging about it. As long as you believe them. So anybody, anybody who says, ah, you got to be a ceasefire, they're, they're siding with Hamas, the killers. Now, I submit to you that even though we live in a screwed-up country right now, most Americans are rejecting that. And just like Black Lives Matter, it's the same thing. Once Black Lives Matter started using the $100 million in donations they received after George Floyd to buy lavish real estate for themselves, once they did that, it was over for them in the mainstream. The same thing is going to happen with the progressive movement in America. Um. Hmm, that's an interesting theory. I'm not quite so optimistic. Let me tell you why I'm not. Let me see if you uh, buy this comparison. Uh, Christopher Ray and Claudine Gay are basically the same person. In, in other words, Christopher Ray could go be the president of Harvard, and Claudine Gay could go direct the FBI, and those institutions wouldn't change at all, and pretty much nobody would know the difference because they're just part of a club that transcends their identity, ironically enough, white male, Republican, black, female, Democrat, uh, but both Ivy League educated and so on and so forth. They're part of the managerial elite that are in control of all of America's cultural, civic and educational institutions. And so I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to uh, dig those uh, uh, cultures out, root and branch from those institutions than just making personnel changes. Well, we'll know next November, won't we? Uh, we will. Yes, we will. Um, speaking of, uh, but, but, but I mean, do, but do you, do you, um, do you have that concern about a pervasive managerial elite? I mean, uh, you know, Michael Lind at University of Texas has written eloquently about this. Joel Kotkin has as well. Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're going. I don't see Gay and, and Ray as similar. Ray is a, a basic bureaucrat who's looking out for himself. If the prevailing winds were conservative, Ray would be conservative. Gay is hardcore. That's the difference, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, although it's it's interesting too that um, just to show you how entrenched this um, ideology is, I mean, Gay has another problem in addition to her testimony that Liz McGill didn't have, which is credible accusations of plagiarism coming from 
academics on the left and right, Carol Swain, uh, as well as Ann Williamson from University of Miami, Ohio, a poli-sci professor there, she, she said that, uh, told the, the New York Post she was angry when she read the excerpts of Gay's work. It does look like plagiarism to me. So now you don't even have to abide any sort of academic integrity standards if uh, you uh, have the right intersectional score. Yeah, I mean, nobody cares about this in uh, academia anymore. I mean, Joe Biden was one of the um, most prolific plagiarists ever. <laughs> I mean, the it guy was yes. Cribbing, just ask Neil Kinnock. Yeah, right. um, and and nobody cared. And, and yeah, you can theorize that at Harvard, a uh, premier um, college in the world, academics. But you know, Harvard's an interesting place. Did you guys know the first president of Harvard in uh, the mid 17th century was the chief witch hunter of Salem? Increase Mather, the guy responsible for executing, partially responsible for executing 20 human beings, was the first president of Harvard. So the school has always had, with let's say, a flamboyant history. <laughs> um, generous. And when I go to Cambridge, I was there about two months ago, terrorizing the people at uh, the Kennedy School. <laughs> they call um, security on you? Uh, security loves me. Oh, okay. You know, anybody who's in a position to uh, enforce um, protections loves me. Yeah, right. You're full so employment. You. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, so they, they call security all day long, and they go, yeah, we'll be there in 10 minutes, but if it's O'Reilly, uh, you know. I, <laughs> so anyway, um, the uh, the problem, though, you're right, Dan. I mean, I like your analysis. You're, you're thinking about this in the right way. Um, we're starting to, as a country to embrace things we've never embraced before and things that go directly against our Constitution. Now, uh, President Gay is entitled to due process, and that's why I wrote Killing the Witches, because there was no due process in 1692. If some 12-year-old girl pointed and said, uh, you're, uh, you tried to make me sign the devil's book, you had a rope around your neck in 10 days. Well, now you don't have due process either. And I, I believe in that, and Gay denies it. But it, it, the overwhelming evidence, and Amy pointed it out rightly, is that she did crib. But believe me when I tell you, they couldn't care less up there about that. Oh, I believe you. No, no, I, I definitely believe you. Um, what yep. would what was your we were talking about it just before you joined us. What was your assessment of uh, Biden's performance uh, yesterday with Zelensky and um, also taking the occasion to be critical of Israel at the same time? Right after you hang up from me, I want you to read uh, my message on BillOReilly.com. Anybody can do it. And I hope people will go there every morning. So Biden, this is a scandal yesterday. Obviously, it was a weak press conference, and nobody learned anything. Um, he read the answers to the question from Reuters. You can see it. I'm going to use it on TV tonight on the No Spin News. Oh, yeah. So I mean, clearly, he got all the questions ahead of time, obviously. Yeah, yeah. and that's corrupt. Right. Journalists never did that before. Never. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but if they did it, it was, you know, on the sly. Okay, but now <laughs> the guy from Reuters stands up, Trevor, and reads the question, and Biden immediately the head goes down, doesn't even look at Trevor, and reads right. it off the answer off the sheet. Yeah. What the yeah. deuce is that? Hey, Bill, I know. Hey, do you think he's going to make it to 2024, to the election? No. No, we talked about this last time I was on. 
Um, I don't think he's going to make it. Um, I think the Hunter thing is going to get worse and worse and worse. And he obviously is having trouble in uh, physical and mental areas. And I think, you know, but I was wrong. I, th- I thought he would be out now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he he's so bad. Second worst president in our history. But he's hanging tough. Uh, but I do not see him. But I could be wrong. Bill, o- Bill O'Reilly is the host of No Spin News, weeknights, 5 p.m. Chicago time at BillOReilly.com. And again, pick up his latest in the Killing series for the holidays. Nice gift. Killing the Witches, the Horror of Salem, Massachusetts. Bill, thank you as always. Listen, guys, thanks for having me. And one last plug, get all 13 Killing books in a bundle on BillOReilly.com for Christmas. All of them together. Best-selling nonfiction book series of all time. So I hope people think about it. Thanks for having me. I hope we can talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much. And he joined us on our turnkey dot pro answer line the stories you need to know to start your day this is chicago's morning answer on am 560 the answer this is chicago's morning answer with dan proft and amy jacobson on am 560 the answer Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Last week, we talked about this story that aired on ABC7 Chicago, where uh, the I-Team. Jason Knowles and the I-Team. I like Jason, though. It was a good story, but he was really late to the party, if you know what I mean. I'm glad that you you find some use for him. Uh, But that's fine. It's a fine story for what Chicago Press Corps is able to do, which is just provide sentimental angles to um, everything, especially public policy. Uh, Root causes, dot connecting, that's not their business. And so it wasn't in the story that I'm referencing. But it was uh, interviews with um, residents of the Cook County portion of Tinley Park in unincorporated Rich Township, one of the areas comprising this year's triennial property tax reassessment in Cook County. And the residents there were wailing about the whack they were getting. For example, one resident, Lisa Markowitz, got hit with a 210% increase in the assessed valuation of her home. That would give and, me a heart attack. <laughs> and, of course, um, you know, and then you have an idea what the implication will be for your property tax bill next year. Schiller Park, Desplaines, middle-income residents that got reassessed last year are feeling it this year. 30% increases in their property taxes. And people are talking about having to move to Indiana, having to sell their home, not knowing where to go, maybe losing their home. And so this got me to thinking some more on the topic after we discussed it, and I penned a piece that John Cast generously published at his johncastnews.com site. The uh, Outside of Morning Answer, the sort of last repository of common sense in Chicagoland. And so my question is uh, the one that I ask myself and I'll put to everybody is, should we feel empathy for Lisa Markowitz and others similarly situated? Should we feel empathy for the residents of Schiller Park and Desplaines, as well as the Cook County portion of Tinley that are looking at the prospect of property taxes they can't afford next year? 
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line, 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. You know, I met somebody yesterday, a gas station on Arlington Heights Road over here. Uh, he moved here. He, had, he owned the same similar shop, a gas station, you know, with some trinkets to sell in North Carolina. And now he owns one in Arlington Heights, and he's trying to sell it. And I said, why do you want to move? And he said, I need to go back to North Carolina. North Carolina, his property taxes for the year, Dan, $1,500. Same shop, same square footage. Here in Arlington Heights, $47,000 a year. He's like, I had no idea. And I said, well, you didn't study that before you moved here? And he said, no, I I didn't. And I'm not making any profit, and I have to sell this business, but nobody wants to buy it. So the uh, story is um, poor, unsuspecting Illinois families being fleeced by politicians. Is that the story? I'm asking. Is that the story? Maybe it was the story in 1970, is what I argue, when the Illinois Constitution was rewritten. But when did that stop being the story? Maybe it's still the story today. Maybe you think it's still the story today. I don't. As I write, I'll just give you sort of the thrust of it. At some point over the past five decades, this story of property tax, usurious property taxes that effectively serve to methodically confiscate people's property value from them. This stopping a story of politicians fleecing their constituents and became a story about the residents of Cook County and ultimately greater Chicagoland playing Patty Hearst to the Chicago Democrats' Sibonese Liberation Army. Because uh, this was all occurring, as we discussed last week, against the backdrop of two federal corruption trials, one coming to its conclusion that would involve Ed Burke and the other not yet started that would involve the longest-serving House Speaker in American history, Mike Madigan who are two of the most prolific property tax appeals attorneys in the state. Billions, billions in property tax relief they secured for their corporate clients, mainly, Mm -hmm. or high net worth private clients. And um, who did the residents of Des Plaines and Schiller Park and Tinley Park and everywhere else, just about in Chicago, who do they throw in with? The Democrats. I mean, that's one thing that Jason Knowles, I wish you would have asked him, like, well, how did you vote last time around? It's more than just voting, but that it certainly includes that. The um, What you're hearing now is, um, where is, how could this be? Where is somebody to do something about this? Where are the authorities, the same authorities that are uh, prosecuting Madigan and Burke, finally, after 54 years in office for uh, Burke and just about the same for Madigan, longest serving House Speaker in American history, longest serving alderman in Chicago history. They got him. Well, they put tax codes in place that then they built a company around defending them. It's so weird. Where are the authorities, I hear? The Cook County judges you slated that slated uh, were slated by Madigan and Burke that you ratified in Cook County. Talking to Cook County residents, and and again the spread to the collars. The Cook County state's attorneys they selected you elected. 
the U.S. attorneys selected by U.S. senators, you elected, backed by Madigan and Burke, drawn from the legal arm of the system they erected, with the perhaps the temporary exception of Peter Fitzgerald. So, again, I'm supposed to have empathy for all the Joe Punch Clocks and Sally Housecoats who haven't noticed how all of those people have been so absent for so long. But I really didn't know, they say. Well, as I would contend and did, willful ignorance of the law is no defense to punishment, and neither is willful ignorance of the system. And so comes the punishment. The two longevity lords who built tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars out of the system are going to spend their 80s or whatever time they have left in federal prison maintaining appearances, talking about the U.S. attorneys. Wholly unimpressed with them, too, for my lifetime. And um, the Joes and Sallies, I mentioned, will be whittled down to nothing by a system they spent their adult life serving in one form or the other. So... I'm just having a really hard time feeling much empathy for them. Is that heartless of me? People losing their homes? I guess it would be um, heartless if I would have heard more of a hue and cry over the last 25 or 30 years that I've been around about... uh, the superintendent's salary, the stratospheric increase in K through 12 spending, which is the you know uh, local the, the unit of government primarily responsible for the spiraling property tax increases, P- particularly that uh, unlimited spend against the results the government schools produced. What about the defined benefit pensions that the public sector unions wired up for themselves? You didn't know about this? I mean, I can only speak for myself um, and uh, a handful of politicians that made this an issue that I know about. Well, if they did, I know about it over the last 30 years because um, there was an effort. I mentioned before ran a multi-million dollar campaign in 2018 specifically on property taxes. Nobody paid particular mind. No Republicans were certainly elected because Trump was in office. That's what they say because the Republican Party was absent. But, you know, the Republican Party, the one um, minor quibble I have with Cass and his bipartisan combine moniker, which I otherwise like, I mean, it is it is instructive But it's a little misleading, too, because it suggests that the combine is an equal partnership between Democrats and Republicans. And what you really have over this time period is the Republican Party is a servant of the Democratic Party. But the hierarchy is clear. Uh, Politicians like Jim Durkin, uh, George, Ryan, I mean, you know, from George Ryan to Jim Durkin, lots and lots of Republicans from let me go, please. Jim from Jim Thompson to Jim Durkin, the Jims. 
and so many in between. The Republican Party consistently put four people that were there to serve the Democrat paradigm, and they did. And again, some some would have to be taken out because uh, they were they fell out of favor with the system or because they were sloppy. George Ryan was sloppy. Blagojevich fell out with the system's administrators. So they were taken out. And then the U.S. attorneys uh, look like they're corruption busters, but they're not. They're the legal arm of the system. So. uh Legislators, a handful of them who've come and gone and tried to make the case, tried to move legislation, uh, tried to provide public awareness, still do, like Jeannie Ives with her breakthrough ideas. And what kind of audience do they get? What kind of audience do I get? What do the suburbs look like? What does suburban Cook County look like in terms of its office holders and then you're going to say but 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 it's terrible what's happened to me mm. you know this the the system that uh, everybody participated in has just beaten out all the empathy out of me I guess there are no victims here I argue there's a few winners and they include Madigan and Burke, even though they're going to go to federal prison. Their golden years after, I mean, God knows how much money fleecing that they've. <laughs> well, did they? I mean, it, I mean, who are they fleecing? That's my point. How, how do they? You know, at some point, um, when you drive the getaway car in enough bank robberies, then you're not being fleeced. You're party to it, whether or not you get anything from the principals or not is immaterial. So there's some there's a lot of losers in the system, but there's no victims. There's a difference. Red in Elmwood Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning. Morning. You know, the real thing is uh, this Burke, what does he do? Guarantee the property tax reduction? Who's he working with? There's the real question. That he can guarantee a property tax reduction? Otherwise, these people wouldn't be going to him. Who's he working with? There's the real scandal. Thanks for the call, Rhett. Well, I mean, what do you mean who he's working with? You mean who who's working for him in these sinecures like the Cook County Board of Tax Appeals? With perhaps the notable, the notable exception of Dan Patlack for a time in the Cook County Board of Tax Appeals. You know, so there's exceptions along the way, but that they could have no impact on the system when there's no opposition party and there's no opposition that's mustered among the electorate to support politicians who wanted to form an opposition party. At every opportunity, the Republican Party, with very few exceptions, Peter Fitzgerald being one, Every opportunity, just about, they threw in with the Democrats, whether they want to sort of acknowledge it in those stark terms or not. I didn't know. I didn't think. No. Sorry. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe some people think that's unfair. I don't. And, um, you know, I was 
in the arena for a lot of that time. I saw a lot of people brought into the system that desired to have the benefits of the system and didn't really want to be seen as an obstacle to the system's operation. And so they fell in. Up and down whatever constitutes the leadership of the Republican Party over the last 30 years. And the same, frankly, at the rank and file level, at the township organization level, at the school board level, at the municipal government level, at the county government level. And so now they come for you and you want me or someone to stand up for you and you don't see anybody there. Too Lots, bad. Yeah. Text message, Dan and Amy, no sympathy, and you FIBs need to stay out of Indiana. Too many here, and you're already screwing up the place. Uh, Dave in Bristol, Wisconsin. Hey, guys, good morning. Um, I just wanted to lend, you know, support to exactly what you're saying, Dan. Uh, you know, growing up in Elgin and Oak Park and watching it, um, you know, everything you say is true. We generally have... No one to blame but ourselves being, you know, brainwashed and being so comfortable with the system to not see what we really need to do. You know, and on a complimentary side, I, I really love the way you explain things in your diction. Uh, you know, I get up every morning very eager, you know, to hear how you, how you really put things into perspective and i completely agree with you if i would have known you were running for office i would have happily voted for you thanks for the call dave mike franklin tennessee i love uh love you talking about real estate taxes people in cook county illinois they are so stupid the way they hand money over to the politicians we evacuated to franklin tennessee and tell people in Illinois what my real estate taxes are in Tennessee, they ask me, is that per month? Yep. No, I know. <laughs> it's true. Thanks for the call. You know, I mean... I, it's shocking because people do pay that, you know. And, and what do you hear from Cook County residents? The majority. I mean, it's definitely the majority. Maybe it's a super majority. What do you hear from them? I, I just think that when the people buy a house here in Illinois... Their realtor or their mortgage broker doesn't discuss, oh, you're going to be paying X amount of money a month in property taxes. Really? People I don't, don't think that people, they don't have people, that conversation. People, people, conversation? You're not sophisticated enough to look at uh, the I property know. taxes on a house you're going to buy? Come on. Uh, well, some people some people maybe are not, but I don't think that's it. They, they provide alibis for the politicians. Oh, no, no, no. They couldn't have done that. They were with me last night, officer, all night. <laughs> no, 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 not my legislator, not my representative, not my senator. Oh, no, 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 not my governor, not the governor I voted for, not the Cook County Board President I voted for. No, 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 not my local school board. No, not my superintendent. No, 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 no. Maurice Berwin. Yeah, we have a a political party issue on both sides. We need a viable third party. 
I, I always say that I listen to your show because I'm a conservative Democrat by today's terms. I'm always just become a Republican. Um, but there's no way these guys should be as old as they are, and no one should get into politics and make as much money as they do when they leave. Um, it, it, it's, it's fascinating that well, these well, guys can get into politics and leave being millionaires. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of these guys get into it, and they're in it for decades. Uh, and also, before I hang up, I want to give you guys a compliment for something you said weeks ago about, uh, particularly you, Dan, your dedication to education and the fact that um, what, there's an 87% graduation rate in Illinois, but the reading scores here are, what, 35% mm-hmm. or something? Um, your dedication to education is pretty amazing. And as someone who grew up in the inner city, I uh, applaud you for that. Education, as I say all the time, saved my life. Um, keep up the good work. And I personally would love for someone to bring a lawsuit regarding that to save Illinois. It is uh, baffling to me that that is a law to go in. I would love for someone to do a, cl- a class action suit because education saved my life. I stood on the corner of the West Side of Chicago and in the Tower of London because of education. And so I don't know how that goes. Like someone should do a class action suit. It baffles me that no one has awed the records. Thank you, guys. Keep up, keep up the good work. Thanks for the call, Maurice. Well, the problem, um, you know, with Maurice's suggestion about, like, a viable third party, we don't even have a viable second party. Right. So who— We have to solidify who, that one first. Well, well, who, who, where are the constituents for the viable third party? There's no constituents for a viable second party. And there's no interest that I see. Dan, this text message is great. Dan Proft has the same exact perspective as I do, but he can articulate it all so much better than I can. I want to plagiarize him and become the new Harvard president. That is the pathway. (laughs) Mike and Skokie. Hey, uh, you know, if you look at all of corruption that's gone on with property taxes, how many of these cronies are these, uh, you know, aldermen, village trustees, village managers and stuff – are not paying their fair share in taxes on their half-million-dollar homes and stuff. Maybe Dave Savini, Pam Zekman, or Chuck Gowdy ought to do a, uh, a, some type of uh, expose on that. Maybe that could lower some of our taxes, because I guarantee you they're not paying their fair share of taxes on their half-a-million-dollar home. I guarantee you Burke and Madigan, I'd like to see what their property taxes are on their well-to-do homes. Thanks for the call, Mike. I got No, you know who should do that story? Ben Bradley. Oh, stop. Oh, okay. Never mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Too soon. Mm, too close to home. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Lael Brainerd is uh, Mr. 10%, the big guy, President Biden's top economic advisor. She was on uh, CNBC yesterday uh, responding to the uh, news that inflation ticked down slightly to 3.1% year over year. And uh, she said this. I feel like the uh, underlying um, trend lines and in inflation are good. We've seen grocery prices come down. We've seen prices at the pump come down. Uh, we've seen uh, some of the 
core uh, areas uh, moving back down to pre-pandemic levels. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no. So, again, I, I these are you know, people with uh, uh, great economic credentials. Um, you understand that 3%, 3.1% increase is not a decrease. The, what, so what's happening is the price increases are slowing in terms of pace, but it's still an increase. Right. And under Biden, food prices are up more than 20%, gas prices uh, just under a buck a gallon. But but okay, Lyle, what, whatever you say, what does Steve Moore say? Steve Moore, economist, Govzilla author, joins us now. Steve, thanks for pre- uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, prices are coming down, uh, the administration says. So, uh, yeah, uh, the prices are not coming down, but the rate of increase is coming down. You explained it very well, Dan. The problem, look, the problem for the Biden administration is now we have basically have a 20 percent increase in prices that are cooked into the books. In other words, you'd have to have deflation to, to get back to the prices we had before Biden was president. And you've had a situation now where uh, roughly 23 of the last 26 months, people's paychecks have not been growing fast as the cost of living. And that means people uh, have to do either two things. They have to either cut back on their spending, which most Americans are not doing, or they have to go further into debt. <laughs> and they are doing that. We we all as collectively as a country are massively going into debt. debt. Most of your listeners probably know that our uh, credit card debt is now $1.1 trillion. Mm-hmm. More and more Americans, there's a report out last week that more and more Americans are tapping into their 401k plans early to get cash so they can spend money. That's a terrible way to to get cash because you're going to pay a huge tax penalty for taking money out before you reach retirement age. So, yeah, there's a lot of financial stress on middle-class Americans. And, you know, as we've talked about so many times, Amy, you know, when you're paying $8 for a box of cereal, that, that, that kind of thing puts real financial stress on middle-class America. Well, with food prices being up, as Dan just mentioned, 20%, that, that's just going to be the new normal now? Yeah, I mean, get you know, get used to it, folks, because now, look, that we did get some good news on the inflation front that at least, you know, we're not looking at 9% inflation like we had last year. I mean, those were hugely problematic numbers. The inflation rate has come down. Uh, we're still at three to, three, you know, somewhere between three to three and a half percent inflation, depending on how you want to measure it. Um, and the, the Fed Federal Reserve Board target for inflation is 2%. By the way, let's not forget that when Trump left office, the inflation rate was 1.6%. Right. You know, that's a lot. (laughs) That's, you know, so it's twice as high as it was when when Trump left office and it it reached uh, up to 9%. Um, You know, you're still paying a dollar to a dollar 50 a gallon more for gasoline. You're still paying a lot more for groceries. You're still trying to uh, get a airline reservation airplane reservation for you know the christmas vacation i was just looking at the i can't believe how much these airlines are charging so it's it's everywhere um one other thing you can do though is you can move to argentina how about this uh javier mille out of the gate man he he is uh, leaving a fire a trail of fire behind him like ghost rider he eliminated uh 12 of the 21 essentially (laughs) cabinet level agencies uh, right out of the gate. Now he rolled out a measure to completely balance uh, 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 Argentina's budget in 2024, um, an austerity program that would be equivalent of $1.4 trillion in spending cuts in this country. 
letting go of every public employee who has been employed for less than a year, abolishing all government publicity and related spending for projects, appointed government positions are cut by 34%, no more transfers to local governments, suspension of public infrastructure, which is riddled with corruption there, reduction of energy and transport subsidies. I mean, this guy is, um, sounds like he's the real deal, at least he's trying to be. Yeah, so I just want to correct you on one thing. Shame on you, Dan. You 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 called this an austerity agenda. No, well, it's a prosperity yeah. agenda. Yeah, I mean, right. Yes, get, right. <laughs> you're using the language of oh my gosh, we can't have austerity. <laughs> yeah, they, right. that they, they say austerity for government, and that that uh, gives them uh, uh, cardiac arrest. But this is an amazing uh, experiment that's going on there. They also want to dollarize their economy, which would be really smart. Because right now, um, you know, they have like 250. <laughs> you think we got inflation problems here, uh, Amy? They, they have a 250 uh, percent annual inflation rate. So, you know, the peso today, the Argentine peso is, is almost not even worth the paper it's written on. And, uh, and so but this is cool. I mean, if, if he pulls this off. Argentina could become another economic powerhouse. At one, you know, you go back 50 years ago, Argentina was was a very prosperous country, and of course, then they made the mistakes of of um, of putting uh, the Perones in, the per- Peronistas. And by the way, just as an aside, how is it that somehow Evita, Eva Peron became some kind of cult hero? She was the worst. She impoverished the Ch- Argentine people. Now we make you know Broadway plays out of her as if she's some kind of a hero. But uh, that's that's how the left has infiltrated every cultural institution in America. But, no, I'm, I'm excited about what's happening in Argentina. And we need to do a bit of that here. We need to really take a sledgehammer and a chainsaw to this budget. I'm so sick, Dan. They're talk- you know, here we're running, you know, a $2 trillion deficit. And they're arguing about, oh, well, can we afford 20, you know, uh, $20 billion cut for this? No, you got to put an extra zero on those cuts. I mean, we got to get very serious about getting this – uh, economy, uh, you know, standing up again, and, and that's by uh, really substantially reducing the spending. And incidentally, I'm also in favor. Where are you guys on this uh, issue of um, the Ukraine funding? Because I'm either not for funding for Ukraine, or if we are going to fund Ukraine, I think we have to pay for it with every penny of it has to be coming out of other government programs, Dan. Yeah, I I agree with that. That would be easy enough to do. $61 billion is chump change in the grand scheme of things. Uh, So I agree with that. And also, I mean, of course, the predicate to even having that conversation is policy change with respect to border security. Otherwise, I'm not even interested in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's just what I'm saying is that, you know, they're talking about how they're going to save, you know, pennies when they need to be saving dollars and tens of dollars, you know, in terms of magnitude what they're talking about cutting. I mean, we're looking at uh, another $2 trillion of debt added this year. And, you know, we're supposed to be in a recovery. Here in Biden, I'm saying, oh, everything's so good for the economy. Okay, if the economy is so good, why are we throwing $2 trillion? Well, here's the thing, though, um, that you're not considering. The uh, green energy revolution that's upon us. Uh, you, I saw this uh, blurb in your Unleashed Prosperity newsletter. We're starting, finally starting to see dividends from the $5 billion that uh, President Biden allocated to build charging stations. Yeah, this is an amazing st- story. So uh, what was the amount of spending? Again, I forgot. What five, $5 billion. Uh, $5 billion. That's Trump change, too. But $5 billion, and they authorized this a couple of years ago. You know how many tra- charging stations there are that have how been many? paid for with 
One. One. Oh, <laughs> they boy. found one. They spotted it. It's like, where's Waldo? Where is it? It's in some town outside of Columbus, Ohio. They finally installed one charging station. Lord knows what happened in the other 495 uh, billion dollars, but the other, you know, story. Well, the revolution here, takes some time to get going. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the other story is, you know, last week at the uh, climate change, is I think it's over, right? Yeah, it, it ended. The, yes. the, the climate change. Eighty thousand people, by the way, went to that and drank, uh, you know, champagne and ate caviar and talked about how much they care about uh, the climate while they flew in on their private jets. You couldn't even get into Dubai, you know, in the UAE with uh, with the, the airplanes were so full. And uh, and anyway, they have, uh, the Biden administration said, you know, we're not going to build any more coal plants in the United States. No more. So that's 20 percent of our energy they're going to wipe out. And then they declared war on natural gas because they said no more methane emissions. So that's another 40 percent. So, you know, uh, how are they going to build those charging uh, stations? Then? Well, but they said there no oil, no coal, no gas. Yeah, that's no, the goal. No but they don't know too. how they're going to pay for it. <laughs> no pay for it. Like, how are we going to live? Yeah. Don't that? forget about yeah. the cows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we get 60 to 65 percent of our uh, electric power across the country with uh, with coal and with natural gas. This country was built on coal. And so now they want to wipe those out. And and so that takes away 60. You know, if my math is right. That takes away over half of your electric power supply. At the same time, these morons, these pinheads want to put the entire transportation system on the electric grid. I mean, if you massively increase the demand and massively increase to reduce the supply, you're going to have, you think California has brownout, blackout problems. Every Folks, you know, when you wake up in the morning and try to, you know, on a cold December morning, try to turn your heat on, there's nothing going to come out. I mean, this is really scary stuff. Well, I'll tell you, it's it, it maybe the problem with the uh, charging stations, you know, only one being built in two years with $5 billion in financing. Uh, maybe they made a mistake when they enlisted uh, the uh, construction crews that were building affordable housing in L.A. because it took them <laughs> 17 years to build 49 housing units. They're supposed to be at 450,000 at this point. I think that I think I saw the number was something like six hundred thousand dollars per unit uh, for these affordable housing units. The 49 that have been built yeah. after 17 years. So, again, the wonders of uh, government directed uh, Private, you know, uh, private sector, par- uh, public sector partnerships, which we love to talk about. Oh, I got another one for you. You know, remember, they've been talking for the uh, last 10, 15 years about building this uh, this bullet train from uh, Los oh, yeah. Angeles to San Francisco. And yeah. so it started out, it was going to cost 20. They had a ballot referendum and the experts said, transferred it. It's going to cost $20 billion. And the taxpayers in California, they're already broke. But they said, OK, yeah, we'll pay $20 billion for that. Oh, no, a couple of years. It's not going to be 20. It's going to be 40. Uh, no, not 40, 60, 80. Now it's up to <laughs> over $100 billion. And guess what? The train isn't going to go from Los Angeles to San Francisco because they can't get it over the mountains there. And so it's going to go to two towns that nobody even lives in. I forget the Merced yeah. and some other place that aren't even close to San Francisco and Los Angeles. Great planning, guys. Over $100 billion for a, for a train that doesn't go to the two destinations that you said it was going to. Uh, that's government is at its finest. I'm still waiting for the uh, bullet train that was proposed 15 years ago in Illinois to go oh, from so Chicago nice. to Toledo, because oh. the problem in Chicago is you can't get to Toledo fast enough. And know, um, it's yeah, no, the problem is you can't get out of Toledo. Fast <laughs> well, well, who goes yeah. to Toledo? I mean, well, no we, we all would if we had that bullet train. That's the whole point. Uh, Steve Moore. <laughs> 
economist, Godzilla author. Thanks for the uh, thanks for joining us, Steve. Appreciate okay. it. Yeah, have a, have a great day. Talk to, talk to you soon. Thanks. You too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. So there's one professional sport that uh, we have on good authority that is backing Trump. It's a real man sport. There's actually probably two. There's probably two professional sports. I'll give you a hint. I think that's uh, the, a little misogynistic. It's a real man sport. Well, there's there's probably two professional sports where the majority of the athletes back Trump. One's a real man sport. The other is UFC. Give you that hint. Uh, are we guessing? Can I take? Yeah, a go stab ahead. Guess NASCAR. Ahead. It's a sport. No, it's a real man sport. Oh, well, that's it. It takes a man to drive a car like that. The, the ultimate man sport. Uh, lumberjacking. No. <laughs> Fishing. Ultimate man sport. People uh, out there know. You're just, you're just. Three, at a three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer. And you could text me the answer at six four six three six. Type in DA, then a click the ultimate man, not football. What, what, what could be the, perhaps the only sport more manly than UFC? Oh, God. Can I ask Justin? Because he's a it's skateboarding. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's golf, obviously. Oh, oh, play! Oh, all the calories you guys burn valiantly walking a man down sport. the fairway. Oh my! It's a man sport. You have to bend over. You get work out your uh, hamstrings bending over to get the ball. Nobody, okay. nobody said say anything about exercise. Just said, I just said it's the ultimate man sport. Um, when I think John of sports, Daly, I think of sweating. So okay. when I think of man sport, I think of John Daly, who famously said, "I don't think I've ever stepped into a gym because they won't let me smoke there." I just thank God Miller Lite isn't as fattening as most beers. If I cut back on beer, though, I'd look anorexic. That's a man. John Daly That's sat down awesome. with Tucker Carlson. Uh-huh. Tucker Carlson had quite a run this week uh, accompanying yeah, his the launch of the TCN, the Tucker Carlson Network. Uh, Daly sat down with uh, with Tucker. Did he wear funny and, pants? Uh, he you know, was... He had a manly ensemble. Oh, God, a man, man, man. I smell men. And uh, he said this about uh, the 2024 race. So you're open in your politics. You're pretty direct about it. Yeah. I would say. Where's common sense in our country? Do you think you've got the majority view among golfers? Yeah. I think all of us on the tours and everything, we all want Daddy Trump back. <laughs> Daddy Trump. <laughs> And, again, um, uh, a man's man like Trump. Listen to uh, John Daly talk about uh, playing golf with Trump. i got to work with his chipping a little bit, but he hits it good. He putts it good. Um, we just got to work on his chipping. What's wrong with the chipping? He just – I keep telling him got to move the ball up. Everybody thinks when you chip you got to move it back. You actually need to move it up a little bit. Yeah, true. If I don't see him for a while, it goes back to that bad habit again. So when you correct him – Oh, he chips it like a chips it like Tiger or Phil. So why not be like wow. a full-time Trump golf coach? 
I don't think he has time to play that much golf. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem he does seem serious about it. Oh, he loves it. He's passionate about it. But he, what I love about him, he plays quick. We'd go out play golf. We could have an eightsome with him, and we're done in three hours. That's quicker than wow. Ditka. Um, uh, that's ready that's golf right there, folks. I'll, t- I'll tell you that. The other thing there, too, plays fast. Yep. That's all you need to know. That's all you that. need to know about Trump. In fact, that should be the a centerpiece of his campaign messaging over the next uh, little less than a year, the next 11 months. I play fast. When you uh, sponsored my dad and I at uh, Bull Valley, which thank you very much, uh, we got to, we plowed through 18 holes. Yeah, your dad's a fast player because he's a good player. Oh, yeah, he just, yeah, yeah. And you can you can be a mediocre player, bad player, as long as you play fast. Yeah, I hate law. Ugh. We, I think we were done two, under two hours. We played ready golf. If you're ready, go hit it. So now, fun. now, I mean, just to compare, because I know there may be a few people that are skeptical of oh, golf as a more manly sport than UFC, where the other sport where Trump probably dominates in terms of support among the professional athletes. Really, you think UFC is so manly? Well, Tucker also sat down with UFC founder Dana White. And you listen to what Dana White said to Tucker. And then you listen to what John Daly said to Tucker. And and you tell me. Let me tell you what. If you consider yourself a patriot, right, you're a patriot, you should be drinking gallons of Bud Light. Believe me when I tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be be boycotting Bud Light. Gallons of Bud Light. You should have Bud Light drums stacked up in your garage and drinking it right out of the keg. They are way more aligned with you than most of these other beer companies are. That I guarantee you. Take it from somebody who's in the know, who does business with beer companies. You are way more aligned with Bud Light than you are with so I'm any assuming, other beer company. I mean, they didn't come into partnership with you by accident. No. Obviously. We they, had multiple bidders they, on they the table. seek you out? We had multiple bidders on the table. They were one of them. And as I, you know, history has shown me with relationships that I've had with other beer companies, I, who lean more this way, I, who consider myself a patriot, I don't go crazy over the whole patriot thing, but I consider myself a proud American. I'm happy to be an American. I love this country. And you are way more aligned with Anheuser-Busch than you are with other beer companies. So there you go. You want to go with Dana White and Dylan Mulvaney of UFC? Or do, who leans right, or do you want to go with John Daly, who wants Daddy Trump back? Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Dot Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A. Who drinks Miller Light? As opposed to Bud Light, yeah. And says that he believes nicotine plus caffeine equals protein. <laughs> you really say that too? I love John Daly. It's gonna live forever. Lennon Highland Park here on Chicago's Morning Answer. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to talk about the Ditka group because I've caddied for it over a hundred times. So you have I've been played seven. through by it. I've been, and, and when oh, I say played through, I mean steamrolled, as you well know. Yeah, that that they a lot of the members weren't happy with that group. But you'd have six guys, two caddies. You never saw the other caddy the whole round. One guy <laughs> is on the green, and the next caddy is already four caddying. <laughs> they play in less than three hours. No one talks to each other, but you make a lot of money. How much money are you talking? What'd you get? I'm not. I'm no, it's a, oh, you're a gentleman. Caddy doesn't tell these things. That's code. I tell caddies. First thing I tell caddies, and I told clerks at the Merc, never tell people what you make. All it does is create jealousy. 
So I'll never talk about what I made. But it was a great group and uh, less than three hours. And when you like in the fall, when there was only one caddy available and I was older, it was harder than running a five minute mile. It (laughs) is brutal. (laughs) So wait, you caddied at Babo? For years. Oh, okay. I thought you were. Where, where, where did I think you were? I thought you were at like North Shore or something. Where else did you camp? No, no. I'm at I'm at Briarwood. So one oh, Briarwood. That's right. Down Briarwood, yeah. and uh, I moved over there. And right. uh, we're still waiting for you to come to Briarwood. I, I'm going to do it this summer. I want to play Briarwood. And I want you to caddy for me, and and I'll you I'll go and caddy I'll, for you. I'll go I'll go at a brisk pace, but it won't. But you know, it won't be slow, but it won't be Ditka. Well, the group will be. I think Colazzo's the guy's name. Okay. Uh, is is that the guy that you know? No. And uh-uh. uh, the and Briarwood? No, I don't think so. Oh, no, Calderazzo. No, member there. He he's gonna he he's a friend of yours. The guy who wants to okay. set it up is a member, but uh, he had him and uh, in a, a retired bear that you know, and uh, that was going to be the group. But uh, yeah, I'm still waiting. Oh. So. Okay. All right. all right. All right. This summer, it's a date there, uh, Len. Thanks for the call. And, Appreciate and, it. Oh, oh sorry, maybe he was going to invite me. He was like, and, and Amy can come too. I think it was, it's a man's what he was about manly to say. sport. Oh, manly you're sport. so okay. Uh, text message: Yingling is the only real American beer, and I, that is true. You ever what about had one of those? Cow. Spotted cow is pretty good too. But have you had a Yingling? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I got introduced to it at Georgia Tech. That's fantastic. I have to go to Indiana and buy it though. But that's all right. Eric on 88. Yeah, good morning. I just want to say I thought the most manly sport was women's cycling. Hey, uh. <laughs> Pretty good. It, see, it's, it's becoming that, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah. Another text message. The most manly sport, Dan and Amy, is axe throwing. Mm. No, that's like, that's a bar activity. That's not a sport. A sport, too. You could do it drunk or sober, so, yeah. Can't even smoke when you're doing it because of the smoking bans. But you know, if you watch John Daly play golf, you'll see him smoke a couple of packs. Now, why doesn't he enter gyms? He said because he the only place they can't can smoke, smoke in them. Obviously. <laughs> um, by the way, speaking of that, and you know, you you lampoon John Daly's philosophy on life, but let me tell you something. He may outlive you, Amy Jacobson. Why? There's a new study out of Finland. So this is from the Scandinavians. Your people. Wait. I know you're Sweden, but, you know. Same thing. Yeah, basically. 11,000 same-sex twins were analyzed between 1975 and 2020. 45-year longitudinal study about exercising. Oh, no. The participants uh, reported at the time and uh, self-reported the time and intensity of their daily physical activity, categorized into four groups, sedentary, moderately active, active, and highly active. Overall, researchers found those who exercised the least were about 20% more likely to die over the age of 45 than those who were regularly active. Okay. But, but now John Daly is not sedentary. He plays uh-huh. the manly sport of golf. However, when the researchers filtered for lifestyle factors, including education, BMI, smoking, and alcohol consumption, the number dropped significantly. Then those in the sedentary group were only 7% more likely to die compared to those in the active group with no additional benefits provided by higher levels of exercise. The study showed that biological aging accelerated for those who exercise too little and 
too much. Oh, no. So the super active, the people like Amy who do like three yoga classes and two cycling classes a day, <laughs> probably pump some iron too and yeah. then play volleyball. Don't forget the weights and then go coach, yeah. burn some more calories. As compared to a physical specimen like John Daly, who's moderately active, hmm? mm. you may want to reexamine your life and maybe be a little bit more like John Daly. Another text message. Yeah, another text message. The most manly sport, Dan and Amy, is rugby. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, pretty brutal. Uh, Bill in Cape Coral, Florida. Yeah, uh, what do you mind? I was a caddy going back, uh, and he got two quick stories. He got one tiny caddy for Dick Buckus, Ed Obradovich, Mike Ditka, and there was a fourth guy, I forget, but he was very nervous because he was caddying for all these big guys. A lot of artificial joints in that group, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so Ditka hits, tees off, hits the tree. The ball hits the tree and breaks a, wi- a windshield on a Cadillac. So my buddy John says, uh, excuse me, sir, he just broke a window there. He goes, yeah, it's my car. So he ends up breaking <laughs> The other one, he caddied for Ron Sano. Right, it was right after he, that famous slide where he slid into third base about 20 feet short. Mm-hmm. And they were teasing him on the course. So they said, hey, kids, to my buddy John, he goes, hey, kid, race him to that sand trap over there. So John said, I, to my, I was thinking to myself, should I beat him or should I let him win? But he had some great stories of catering for some big-time people at those courses. He had a – it's always fun golfing with him. He has great stories. So. Yeah. I love golf. Down here having golf today and yesterday I played. So have a good That's day. beautiful. Fairways and greens, Bill. Yeah, very good. Yeah, That's no, I, nice. I mean – Caddying was the best growing up. I mean, I, and, you know, caddying at Chicago Golf, I got to caddy for a lot of sports, uh, you know, Celebrity. professional athletes in Chicagoland. Well, didn't time. you caddy for Michael Jordan? I did, back in the day when we had professional sports teams. Oh, yeah. Jordan, Fensick, uh, Doug Wilson, Savard, Stan Mikita was a great golfer. Um, yeah, so it's it's a ton of fun. It's a man's sport, the manliest Danny and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You know, people have been uh, critical of the big guy, Mr. 10%, President Biden, with respect to his performance yesterday, because he was clearly just reading scripted answers to obvious, if not planted, questions. Yeah, but all those journalists who submitted questions to him should be outed, because you don't yeah. do that. Unless you're Donna Brazil slipping questions to Hillary, of course. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Uh, but, um, hey, look, when he goes off script, when he doesn't have answers to read, statements to recite, this happens. Well, we know this year's Hanukkah is different. It's been 65 years since the deadliest day of the Jewish people since the Holocaust. 65 years. What? You mean 65 days? Yeah, 65 days. 65 days, years. Um, Yeah, it seems like it's been 65 years since he was elected. Uh, For uh, more on um, President Biden vis-a-vis Israel, particularly the report that... uh, at a fundraiser, he suggested that uh, Netanyahu and his government was losing popular support because of what was 
what he characterized reportedly as indiscriminate bombing in Gaza. Pleased to be joined by Carol Markowitz, columnist for the New York Post, co-author of the book Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. She also hosts the eponymous Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. Carol, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Indiscriminate bombing, is that what Israel's doing? I mean, that's ridiculous. Anybody who is paying any attention to this war knows that Israel is taking insane precautions, precautions that few other countries would take to make sure that civilian casualties are limited, which is especially hard to do when you're fighting an enemy who wants more civilian casualties on their own side. So that idea, and and it's really a noxious one because the president should not be spreading Hamas propaganda in that way. They want more civilians to die on the Palestinian side so that they could show the world, look what Israel's doing, they're so terrible. But Israel is going above and beyond to ensure that fewer civilians die. And they've been doing that the whole time. They've been doing that for years. They've been absolutely engaged in keeping as many civilians safe as possible, which is really in contrast to Hamas slaughtering civilians on October 7th and in so many other situations in the last you know, decade plus. So, Carol, you're the mother of three kids. You're Jewish, and uh, mm-hmm. I read your article about you wanting to protect your kids from the fear and the rage. But how do you explain these pro-Palestinian rallies? Because I don't know about you, but here in Chicago, now they're bringing out Hamas flags, the green and white Hamas right. flags. And that's uh, right. that's bold. That's very provocative. Yeah. You know, I would say that I have been honest with my kids. My kids are 13, 10, and 8. So the 8-year-old really is kind of doesn't know what's going on yet. But the 13 and 10, um, I've been honest with them, you know, for a while that, look, you're going to see stuff. You're going to encounter people who don't like you because of who you are. And that's just the way the world is. And you're going to have to just live with it and deal with it and, and, and move forward. You know, we live in Florida. I talk about that a lot. We haven't seen that kind of behavior in any large scope in Florida. But even in New York, before we left, two years ago on Thanksgiving, I told my Jewish family at Thanksgiving that I was worried about the state of Jews in New York. And of course, now they think that I'm some sort of, you know, a future teller. Um, okay. But I, I saw it coming. I saw it coming. Orthodox Jews, the Jews that look visibly Jewish, were getting beat up in the street. And I saw that nobody cared. Nobody was coming to save them. And that the only reason that we were safe is that we're secular Jews. We don't look outwardly Jewish. Um, and that's no way to live. So I tell my kids the truth as much as possible. I try to shield them from the details. You know, I, I don't want them to know about the mass rapes or the way that the children were kidnapped in Israel. But I, I, I do tell them that, look, bad people exist and you're gonna, it's part of life. Yeah, and we haven't just seen this, um, you know, how the world really is, manifest itself on college campuses in the Ivy League. We also mm-hmm. had um, pro-Hamas protesters take over a school board meeting in Edina, Minnesota, Adina, Minnesota is, you know, a haven for identitarian politics. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, and what's a school board supposed to do about uh, what's going on uh, in the Middle East? Uh, not much. Right. <laughs> but, but that's not the point. The point is it's a show of power, who's in charge, what the, uh, what, you know, the enforcement of uh, opinion when it comes to this matter. And we also saw something, too, I wanted you to comment on just, you know, we're focused on the college campuses and that deserves a lot of attention. No question. But I mean, some of the things that are surprising even to me, who I think has a pretty good handle on just how ugly the world is, this Polish member of parliament 
who took a mm -hmm. fire extinguisher to extinguish a menorah in a government building and um, and got some of the fire extinguisher foam and stuff on somebody who and a, and a woman who tried to stop him. I mean, it that is that is, you know, the sort of lunacy that is afoot out there. Yeah. Well, I was born in the Soviet Union, so Polish anti-Semitism is not exactly shocking to me. Um, yeah. But yes, you're, you're right that, um, it, it, you know, it, it's amazing how brazen these people have become. Um, you talk about, you know, uh, what is the school board supposed to do and, and that kind of thing. That's absolutely the question, because this is what leftists do. In our book, Stolen Youth, we chart how they bring in these far left ideas into our schools and not just college campuses. They start in kindergarten. You know, um, in Brooklyn, for example, they had schools march against climate change. Like, what is my kindergartner supposed to do about climate change? It, it's, it's literally irrelevant to their lives. Um, and so you have this where they force feed this uh, idea that you must be protesting, that you must be speaking out for their leftist causes very young and they're starting it ever younger and we're going to continue to see it i can think of a number of different examples of protests throughout the country where they engage elementary school children in this so um i, I think that we are heading towards where people see what is going on the big picture of what's what's been happening in our country i hope sooner rather than later and i hope people fight to have their kids not be exposed to this kind of thing when we talk about what's happening on college campuses, just to extend the conversation, you mentioned your kids' ages. Uh, in five or six years, when your kids are ready to go to college, is, yeah. uh, is the Ivy League going to be an option? <laughs> well, this is a conversation that's happening in Jewish homes, uh, I can tell you, all over the place. Um, I don't know. I, again, we live in Florida. I think University of Florida has handled this among the very, very best. Ben Sass is the president of the university. His statement was no nonsense. They have not tolerated any Hamas uh, protests on campus. It's, it's been handled very well. So I think for someone like me, uh, we're looking at University of Florida and thinking this is probably the future. It's disappointing, though, because I don't think the Jewish kids should be removed for, from uh, Ivy League campuses because of these deranged lunatics. Um, it's sad that a lot of Jewish kids are going to be passing on Ivy Leagues, and that's going to create a, even more leftist you know, uh, atmosphere on campus where they feel like they can do whatever they want. Look, they've forced out these Jewish kids. They've they made Jewish kids not apply. I think all of that is scary for us as a country. I, I, what I talk about a lot is you think it's happening to Jews only, but it's coming for us all. The, for example, menorah lightings that have been canceled, and then you have Gavin yeah. Newsom canceling Christmas tree lighting. All of that is we're only the canaries in the coal mine. Um, it, there's going to be far more. Um, you're going to see things like the Christmas tree lighting being canceled because other points of view are simply not tolerated under this leftist idea. And Christmas is absolutely going to be out. It's sort of it's uh, it's sort of like the reverse of the famous Martin Niemöller uh, observation. Uh, you know, first they came and then they came for me. Yes, yes. It's sort of the reverse of that. First they came for the Jew. Right. And then it's and then it's yeah. all the way down. Right. That's um, right. I wanted to get your reaction to something else, too. I know you're no longer a New Yorker, but uh, I know you also maintain a nexus there and knowledge of what's happening. Um, the um, handling of the matter of the of migrants in New York, Eric Adams is uh, continuing to express his frustration with the lack of uh, money being drop shipped from D.C. Mm -hmm. to stand up more uh, shelters and and just right. provide them more money to provide the provisions for all those who are coming. 
Um, how, what, what's your handle on where that stands right now? Because, of course, in Chicago, we're going through a smaller mm-hmm. scale version of the same thing. Well, the first thing I want to say is that I give Mayor Adams zero credit for his immigration views. He has not moderated on immigration at all. He's not saying close the border. He's not saying let's get this thing under control. He's only saying New York needs more money to handle this. Um, to me, that is a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. And he is getting way too much credit for being some kind of voice of sanity among the Democrats, where I don't think he's that at all. I think he's a, a typical liberal Democrat who is saying, we just need more money. We just need more funding. Just give us more money. The problem will not be solved with money. We are taking in an insane number of people who are crossing illegally, who are not here because they're refugees. They're, they're here because they want a job. And, and look, you know, I, I'm an immigrant. I'm not anti-immigration. But there's a, there should be a process. And I was reminiscing a few days ago with a, a friend of mine who also was born in the Soviet Union about the process that we went through. Somebody had to guarantee that they would be there to collect us and to take care of us until we got on our feet. It wasn't government-sponsored. And the right. idea that we're supposed to be just funding all of these people who are coming across the border, it's lunacy, and we simply don't have the money for that. Are you surprised that uh, Adams hasn't pivoted at all, uh, given that uh, polling out uh, earlier this week had his approval rating at 28 percent? So he, he's obviously suffering politically, even in New York. Well, it's funny that he's suffering politically because, again, he's not really deviating from the leftist argument about, you know, to have open borders. He's not saying let's close these borders. Uh, I think he's just rubs people the wrong way. Well, but do you think there'll ever be a time when he'll say uh, we I mean, just the breaking point and say we need to close down the borders because there's got to be some brave politician somewhere that's going to do it. But what do your friends say that are still in New York? I mean, how they think it's a disaster. They they think it's largely a disaster. Um, so many services are being cut. They they see, you know, just the decay around the city. Um, I, I even my most liberal friends are like, this is unsustainable. And they, yeah, they're hoping for a cash inf- infusion to make it all go away. But they admit that this is a giant issue. Well, and and it uh, exacerbates another giant issue in New York and. And Chicago and every major metropolitan area with more than a couple hundred thousand people that's governed by the same uh, ideology in different human form, which is public safety. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, They have very little expectation of public safety anymore. I think that they've gotten to a place where they're just accepting that. Um, you know, chaos is happening on their streets, and that's just something that they have to live with. Um, I, again, I, I wish that more New Yorkers would make the connection between the policies that they supported and the results of this. I don't feel like they're there yet. They're still, like, arguing about Donald Trump and talking about abortion as if these are uh, issues that affect their city. They're not. Um, and they're going to have to face reality. I, I would love for them to do it sooner rather than later. I have family in the city still. Um, I, I would love to see them realize that the policies that they push, the po- politicians that they support, who support these insane policies that don't work, are the result. This is what happens. What's happening on your streets is the result of that. Carol Markowitz, columnist for The New York Post, co-author of the book Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation, and also host of The Carol Markowitz Show on iHeartRadio. Carol, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. 
Dan and Amy, I love police spoof sitcoms. Police Squad, of course, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, Angie Tribeca, Rashida Jones, really good. And so is Brooklyn Nine-Nine with uh, Andre Brower and, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name, from Saturday Night Live, Andy Samberg. Oh, yeah. Um, Really good. And Andre Brower played the captain of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine precinct. And he unfortunately passed away young at the age of 61 yesterday. And he was just... Two-minute stations. he, He was just excellent, like as this emotionless, technocratic captain... And so just remembering uh, his, I mean, he was a serious actor, dramatic actor, too, but he was just brilliant in this comedy. You look chipper, Captain. You have a fun weekend? There was a small fire in my home. I lost many photo albums of treasured memories. I'm devastated. All my breakups have been completely mutual. This is the best possible option for both of us. Agreed. Stay care. That was the end of an eight-year relationship. From now on, I'm going to be 15% more forthcoming on personal details and 5% more physically affectionate. And I will adjust in kind while also implementing a 12% increase in impromptu communication. Oh, Raymond. That was a conversation with his mom, that last bite. It's just great. I love that show. So in tribute to Andre Brower, if you haven't checked out Brooklyn Nine-Nine, please do so. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.